Blog Talk Radio. America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In talk radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's libertarian voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government, now before this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, and our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought, dissidents in action. Only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. Today, we are pleased and honored to have Dr. Per Bylin. He's the assistant professor of entrepreneurship and Professor of Free Enterprise in the School of Entrepreneurship at Oklahoma State University. Go Cowboys! Um, uh, His research focuses on issues in entrepreneurship, strategic management, and organizational economics, especially where they overlap and intersect with regulation, and which I wish we had none of, you know, and policy issues. He's also Associate Fellow of the Ratio Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, research fellow at the McQueen Center at the Entrepreneurial uh, Leadership and uh, associate scholar with the Mises Institute, one of my favorite organizations. Per, welcome to Liberty Talk Radio. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, it's, it, it's really the, 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 the concept of entrepreneurship always fascinated me uh, because I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, I worked for a large corporation many, many years ago. And um, uh, when the, the company closed its doors, I was left out on the street. And I said, well, now I have to do something with my life. So for the past 30 years or so, you know, I've been an entrepreneur. And uh, I, I can write books of all the everything I've been through, you know, and I'm sure you would, you would be entertained by most of it, agree and disagree with some of it as I do, you know, but what, what I found have found interesting over the years is that I have helped many people start their own business and they had the financing. Um, they had the equipment. Um, they had the know-how, you know, to, to operate the business, you know, and the technical know-how, but for some reason, they all failed. And I stayed away. I didn't interfere with the company. I was just an investor. And it seems that all of them were missing that one spark of ingredients, that one drive uh, that made entrepreneurship successful, you know, the, the enterprise successful. Uh, because in my business, I always felt that the worst things got in my business, and sometimes they got horribly bad. I totally broke, no business at all. I used to say to myself, and I kid you not, I said to myself, this is when I get really good. 
And it's really tough to find that today, especially in this environment. What say you about that? Well, I guess the, the ingredient you're looking for is luck, right? <laughs> most uh, entrepreneurs fail most of the time. So uh, it, it's, you have to have that sort of foresight and the drive and, and, and a fair amount of luck as well. Uh, it's, it's really hard. I, I would say entrepreneurship today is probably harder than it used to be and harder than it needs to be simply because there are so many regulations that, that have uh, upset the marketplace in such a way that you can't really predict anything, whereas it, it used to be at least uh, intelligible. And, and now I'm not sure it is. You have all these swings back and forth. You have business cycles that are actually crazy. Um, and you, you, can't, you can't understand these things, really. And they definitely affect your business. Yeah. But, but doesn't a true entrepreneur ignore all of that? And regardless of where the obstacle is, how high the obstacle is, and what the environment is, they make it work, and that distinguishes the successful entrepreneur from the also-ran or the fail failure. Well, sure. The question is just what, what is that thing that is necessary in order to succeed? And I think that in a heavily regulated marketplace as the one we have today, it's something different than it is in a, a free marketplace. In a free marketplace, what, what you need to do is figure out how to satisfy consumer wants, um, and there are not – not any regulations really to talk about. You you, you just need to uh, honor and respect uh, property rights. And other than that, you need to f- just figure out how to best serve customers. Uh, in, the, in the marketplace as it is today, you can be undercut and you can be stopped and there are barriers to entry and barriers to all, sort, all sorts of actions really because of, of regulations and policy. And you, of course, need to make a, a larger profit than it would be the case in the free market because you need to cover taxes, right. both your own taxes and your employees' taxes and all the other taxes. Right. Well, you know, I, most of my listeners are probably so sick of this story, they'll probably all disconnect when they, I, I start talking about it. All right, Sally, you heard the story before. You know, my father came here back in 1933 or something like that, and um, he, he didn't speak a word of English. He didn't have a dime to his name, probably not a penny to his name. He came to the shores of America with nothing. And he became an entrepreneur. And his first job, by the way, he always used to talk about his first job was in a Polish piano factory and they beat the hell out of him every night because he was the hardest working guy there because he had to prove himself, you know. And he, he tells some very interesting stories. Um, he wound up when, when, when at the end of his career, and he got very ill later on in life, he had a factory with 200 people working for him. And he still hardly spoke English. <laughs> By the way, no one understood him. I understood him because I understood the accent, but that's about it. That type of person, and, and maybe I got my drive from him. I don't see that in people today. I see more people are waiting around for something to happen. Your job may be, must be incredibly difficult. I cannot imagine teaching entrepreneurship when, I guess from my perspective, not knowing much about teaching whatsoever, but entrepreneurship is something that you're almost born with, you know, like a good baseball player or a football player. You're, you know, you're driven to do it from the very beginning. Am I sort of pie in the sky somewhere or, or is there some logic in what I'm saying? I think there is some truth to that. And uh, I mean, in, in a sense, what I'm doing is 
is a, a paradox simply because if, if you are still in school when you're 2022, you probably don't have that drive to start your own business and, and become your own in a sense. So if you are still in school, then how in the world am I supposed to teach you how to get that drive? So, so you're definitely right in that sense. Uh, on the other hand, there are things that I can teach um, in how to start the business, both practically and how to think about uh, the market and so forth. And I think uh, a reason that so many entrepreneurs fail today uh, is simply that, that they go about it the wrong way. And they, many, many of us, for instance, would think that an entrepreneur needs a, a, an idea that is unique and, and fantastic. And if you just have this idea, then if you build it, they will come. They, you will make a, a huge profit and, and everything will just dovetail everything will will just work out simply because you have this glorious idea but that, that is not how it really works uh in in real life and if you ask any investor really in businesses the the idea is sure it's important but what is really matters is the person so you're definitely onto something that it investors in in startups invest in the people and in the team a lot more than the idea yeah You've got to tell me something about your. I'd love to sit in your classroom. I really would. I, I I'd love to do that only because I'm, you know, closing out my career, not opening it up, so to speak. And um, uh, th- this whole radio station I started on a whim, you know. And my wife said, "Geez, you're good at that. You should do that." So of course I had to do what my wife said. And um, uh, and 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 I've been very successful at it, and I've been I've truly enjoyed it. It's a lot of work, but I, I truly enjoy it. And I don't make any money out of this thing, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to break even, but um, how do you, I understand, I, I've heard the statistic and maybe you could, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but they say that over one half of the billionaires, that's billionaires with a B, billionaires in this world, have no college education. And I, I find that striking because these billionaires are basically entrepreneurs. And so what type of approach do you take on your first class? You have students sitting there, many of whom have never had a job. Many of watch all they just watch television and find out how they can make millions of dollars doing nothing. Um, in other words, I, it, it almost seems to be it, the, the students that you have is contradictory to what you're, what you're teaching in a way. And I, it, it doesn't seem to, the pieces of the puzzle don't seem to fit being an entrepreneur class, you know, I, 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 I'm having this, I'm struggling with the very concept of that. Please help me out. Well, I think that is a very common uh, perception of, of academia and uh, college education and uh, entrepreneurship programs as well. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I think the Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg had a fund and I think it's still a, uh, operating, I think, uh, where they basically, uh, pay promising entrepreneurs to drop out of college. And very often we think about it as, as either you go to college or um, you start your own business and you become a, yeah. a billionaire, as you say. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, for, for some, it works out. I mean, we only see the successful examples, of course. And that's sort of the problem with studying entrepreneurship, that all the data, in a sense, that is out there is, is only – uh, the, the successful entrepreneurs, because they are the only ones who stick around. The other ones have already lost their money and they're doing something else. They're probably employees somewhere. Um, but I think uh, 
Well, what I really try to teach my students is really critical thinking about the economy and how to how to think about what a business does. And I think that is that is something that most people do not have today. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, they they think of a business as a way of of only serving themselves, of uh, becoming their own boss, and so forth. It's it's really a lifestyle choice today rather than than a profession or or a a way of of changing the world or things like that. So so. Uh, I, I tell them that, that, well, I cannot teach you how to be successful. And the, the simple truth is if I knew how to make a billion dollars uh, as an entrepreneur, I wouldn't be a college professor. <laughs> um, I would definitely not be standing there trying to teach them how to do it because I would do it myself, of course. I, I would have a billion dollars and, and then I would move to a paradise island somewhere and, and, and uh, sip on margaritas. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know how to do that. What I do know is how to avoid mistakes and how to think about these things um, and avoid the very common mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs unfortunately fail because of common mistakes. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you make up. It's like me giving a course, giving a course in auto mechanics, but I'm not an auto mechanic. I, you know, it, it's almost that way. It's like I've learned from the books, but I've never, I've never driven a car before. How do you, how do you, Breach that gap. I, I I find this fascinating because you're teaching students who probably many of whom who probably never had a job before. Forget about being an entrepreneur, but they take the course. And I'd like to know why. Do you ask them why you here? What do you tend to um, um, uh, accomplish here? And do you find any difference over the years in the attitude of students over the past few years? I haven't seen anything over the past few years. Um, I can imagine that it's different when I was in college, um, which would be uh, the late 90s, um, that people now have a more romantic view of starting a business. They probably think of it as less hard work than, than people used to think of it. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, it's a, it's a more of a lifestyle choice that you want to be your own boss or boss, or, or you start a a business that is not really for profit. You want to make a, a difference in terms of poverty or, or uh, gender differences or something like that, rather than, than make a living. Uh, today, for instance, we all of these businesses started by baby boomers, the, the boring businesses. They they don't have anyone to take over those businesses because the, the the younger generations they don't think it's sexy enough. So it needs to be sexy, uh, and that is definitely a change from before. On your first class, do you attempt to qualify your students as to what, why they they are in that class? Are they taking it just because they need three or four credits or whatever it is, or um, what their goals are? Well, I, I have tried to ask them a little bit about that, but that's really really difficult. Um, simply because I think many people in college are trying to figure out what they want to do. They, they are, they don't really have a plan for, for their career. And I, I don't really blame them. I mean, I didn't have one either. Um, so, so they're trying, many, many of them are trying different courses and they're, they're picking a major or something like that sim- simply because they, they want to figure out where it might take them and what their options are in the future. They're, they're really interested in learning um, from, from real real-world entrepreneurs. Uh, I don't do that in my classes, but many of my colleagues uh, invite local businessmen to talk to them and, and, and tell them about their experiences and so forth. And I, I know they really appreciate that. Yeah. The, the, the very few, the first classes that you have, are you trying to qualify the students, for example, the, 
Um, do you encourage them to write a business plan or you, you attempt to ask them um, what their goal is? And if they wanted to be an entrepreneur, what does that mean? And what type of entrepreneur would they like to be? What business would they like to be in? Is there anything like that that you do to qualify the students? Um, uh, not, not in my courses, but that's simply because I teach more theory courses. Uh, many of my colleagues teach courses where they co- put together a business plan and they need to come up with an idea and they have to actually interview people to figure out how the market works uh, for that idea and so forth. Uh, so I don't really qualify uh, why they are there, uh, but I do um, learn after a few classes what they are really there for. Some of them, of course, are there for getting credits. Some of them are there because they, they thought the class sounded fun. Some of them are there because they thought the class sounded easy or whatever it is. And some of them are there because they, they want, to, want to get their degree so they have some sort of foundation uh, and then they want to start a business or maybe run keep take over and then run the family business. That's not uncommon either. No. Do you have any exercises or where they, they attempt to build a business, even hypothetically or in reality, you know, uh, a, a, a business, a small business of some, or start something in the beginning of the class and see how, they, how they're doing towards the end of the class? I did that at one of the previous semesters. Um, and it, it really comes down to the same thing when I teach uh, the sort of practice or just theory, and it comes down to a proper way of thinking about things. So I've noticed that whether or not we, we discuss whether we discuss theory in general and what entrepreneurship is about in a sense, and whether I have them put together a business plan and, and try to figure out what is the best uh, positioning of the business, what is the best uh, type of customer that you look for and things like that. It really comes down to exactly the same thing. That is how to think about the business and what is the sort of function of entrepreneurship in the market system. That is the core. Now, do you encourage your students to watch Shark Tank on a regular basis? <laughs> no, I do not. But I know many of them do. And I think part of the reason I do not ask them to do that is that I don't have a television set myself, so I can't really follow along or comment on it. Yeah, well, I, I'm a Shark Tank fanatic. I think I've watched every episode <laughs> nine times, you know. Morris says, haven't we seen this six times already? I said, yeah, this is why I particularly like. She says, you say that to every one of them. But um, I, I, I get a kick out of them, but I I don't watch it all the time, but I, I, I have watched some episodes more than once, to be, be honest with you. Um, is, where, is, where is the emphasis placed? Um, is it on marketing, building a, a plan? Um, and, and the reason why I ask is that, it, it's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, my experience being out in the business world, hiring people, speaking with young people, trying to help young people out in businesses and whatever, which I've done a dozen times and I have not been successful much at all in that regard. Um, I, I find that there is less of a spirit of independence and of a consequence of failing than there was many years ago. It seems like, well, if I fail, well, that's his problem or somebody else's problem. I'll just do something else or I'll collect unemployment or go on welfare. It just seems that there's, everyone has an out clause where many years ago people didn't think that way. They said, either I make it or I starve type thing. Have you sensed that or is it just my small eccentric world that I live in? You know, do I experience that? 
No, I agree with it totally. Um, I, I think that is something that we can see as well with with entrepreneurs failing simply because they have a, this backup option. They, they don't they don't need to make it work. Uh, they want to make it work, but they don't have to because they have something to fall back on, whether it's the welfare system or or something else. But but and I think this this comes along with uh, entrepreneurship being a lifestyle choice. In in the literature, there is a lot of discussion about whether entrepreneurship is by necessity or 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 if it is just a lifestyle choice. And I think in the West, it's become very much a lifestyle choice that that you you start your own business because you want to be your own man and you want to be your own boss and you want to take it easy or you want to want to do want to get up out of bed when you feel like it rather than when someone tells you basically Uh, whereas in in the in the developing world you start a business because you there is no job to get Uh, so either you starve or you sell those baskets that you weave at night or or whatever it is and those are of course very different types of entrepreneurship well do, do you tell them that if you're an entrepreneur sleeping is optional I mean, you never sleep if you're an entrepreneur. You're always thinking about the next day. You never leave the office early. You never leave the office, basically. I mean, you physically may leave, but you never leave. You may be watching a movie, but you're thinking about your business. Do they understand the, 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 the dynamics of, of being an entrepreneur? It's so different than working for someone else. I hated working for large companies, and I had a good job with a large company, an international company. I hated it. And as, as well as I did in the large company and the money that I made there, I, and, and the, the, the most the, the difficult, horrifying stories that I can tell you, building businesses that failed upon, failed upon, failed, and then finally made it, I mean, one's a horror story, but I... I treasure those days a lot more than I do the days that I was, did well in a large corporation. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, I, I tell my students that I, I tried starting a few businesses on my own. I, I didn't try really hard. Uh, they didn't grow into being coming anything big. It was basically just myself uh, and they failed miserably. Uh, and I tell my students that, well, that's, that's why you should take my courses because I know how to fail. And that, that, that means I, I can tell you what not to do, right? I can't tell them what to do because the market is different depending on the product they choose, the, the, where they are at and the timing and everything like that. I can tell them what doesn't work, uh, cause I know that, but, but that, that's sort of the, the gist of, of my, my, my speech the first day in a sense. I, I, I'm going to hypothesize for a second. I, I contend, and I say this so often, everyone just puts their hands up. They put their hands over the ears. I don't know why they do that when I'm speaking. I, I can't figure that out. But um, it, it seems that, um, uh, uh, that people today always say, well, you know, if it doesn't work, there's always something else. Um, I was listening to um, Howard Stern one time on the radio. And he was interviewing a big rock star. Didn't get the guy's name because I, I just heard the very end of the in- interview. And Howard Stern asked the, this rock star kid, you know, he said, well, how come you made it so big? You're good, but so were the other people. You made it so big and everyone else didn't. He says, oh, he said, uh, because uh, I made it because I didn't have an option. He says, I... I had no, oh no, he said, I have no plan B. He said, you know, what does that mean? He said, I was sleeping at a friend's house or a friend's mother's house or something like that. I mean, a friend's of a friend's of a friend's house, you know, 
on the sofa, you know, I had nothing. He says, I had no option but to make it. And he said, everyone that I knew that did make it were better musicians than I, I was. They had better records. They had better stage presence, everything better, but they all had a plan B. And that plan, every time things got really, really tough, we almost couldn't stand it, they dropped out. He said, that wasn't my option. I had no plan B. And I stood there in the car and I applauded. I tell you, I almost crashed the car. I said, absolutely. That's, that's my experience. I had no plan B. I was in the middle of the street one time with nothing, looking at a place that I thought I was going to start a business, had lost it. And I stood there. And you know what I said to myself? I'll never forget this time. It wasn't even in my own city. It was in, up in Owasso. I said, you know, Joe, this is when you really get good. I really, that's, I said to myself that I had a big smile on my face and I made a success of that place. But I'm just saying that it seems that in today's society, there's a plan B for everyone. The government will give you this or so-and-so will give you this, or mommy and daddy will give you this, you know. So if you have a plan B, your odds of making it are minimized. Do I sound absolutely insane or is there some logic to that to you? No, I think that that makes perfect sense. And I think that that might be a problem in in. In a sense, I think it's a curse of living in a prosperous society, simply because the, the more prosperous we get, the more options we get as well. And, and they tend to be valuable, all of those different alternatives. Uh, so sometimes it, it's even hard to pick simply because all the alternatives are, are so highly treasured, treasured by us. Um, but it definitely makes sense that, uh, that if you have something else that you could do, if it doesn't work out, you're not going to give it your best. Uh, I think that is a big part of why many entrepreneurs fail. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it just seems to me that entrepreneurship is more important than ever because, and, and I'll go back 400 years when I was young, you know, when I graduated college, companies were hungry for people who graduated from a good college, you know, with the right degree, you know, and, and had some enthusiasm for the job. Uh, I got out of car. I had a job before I graduated today. That's not as common and maybe rare today. And so when people leave college and of course, because so many, so many more children, uh, young people are getting college degrees, mostly with degrees in worthlessness, they leave college and they expect, Oh, Companies are going to open their doors. They're going to suck me in and give me a good job, and it doesn't happen. So isn't it more incumbent upon the students today to be entrepreneurial? Because there's a better chance of them not finding that job as I did. And I was, I, my first job, I was a sales promotion advertising coordinator for the AMC stores in Manhattan. Big job. First job out of the chute. That's unheard of today. Now, this was back in 1960, <laughs> a few years ago, you know, and um, this very rarely happens today. So there's a good chance that people and I know many young men and women who have good college degrees, no job, no prospects. And those that get a job don't get to find a job in their area of study. They just settle for whatever they can get. So isn't entrepreneurship more important than ever because they can at least elect what to do with their lives? No, I think so. I, I totally agree. And I think very few people actually have a job nowadays when they graduate. So, so it's, it's really 
uh, their responsibility to create their own jobs. Um, that's one of the things I tell them as well. Uh, of course, you don't really know when you're in college and you're 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 barely 20. You don't know how to create your own job. You don't you don't know what, even what that means. Um, but at the same time, you you have this this sort of cultural phenomenon, I guess, throughout the West, where where we're all thinking that we we sh we should be taken care of by someone else. And I mean, I'm originally from Sweden, and and the Swedish welfare state is sort of world famous for for being this glorious socialism that kind of works, um, which isn't true in any sense, but but that's what people keep telling me. Um, and <laughs> they're I, trying I, to convince I, you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, people come up to me in the street and say, oh, I heard you're from Sweden. That's my favorite country. And I, I don't know what they're talking about, really, because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I tried to escape and I eventually did. <laughs> but I, I think we can see a cultural change. And I, I, I wrote about this at, at Mises.org <clears throat> in Sweden, as well as in other Western countries that a couple of generations ago, people wanted to take care of themselves. They didn't want to be a burden on anybody else. Whereas this sort of helicopter parenting has has increased and probably taken over way too much. So now we're all used to being taken care of by someone else, whether it's parents or it's society, quote unquote, uh, the government. Um, it, it changes us culturally so that we don't have that sort of drive that you mentioned before, and we don't feel the necessity of, of trying something ourselves. And uh, maybe we're just, we're also staying away from, from uh, taking risks uh, where we probably would be better off doing so. Do you discuss the, the aspects that we're talking about now, the, the cultural aspects, the, um, change, the societal uh, expectations that, that we were just talking about with the students and say, give me feedback. How do you feel about that? And what is your experience? What would happen if you were in this situation? How would you react? Would you just say, well, I guess that won't work. I'll go work at, um, at the lo local convenience store for a while and see what happens. If you do, what, what is their response? What are they saying? Well, I haven't had exactly that discussion with them. We, they're, the whole issue with culture and so forth, that's sort of part of the whole discussion. My, my courses are discussion-based, so, so I, I learn a lot about my students uh, throughout the semester. But a large part of my course is about regulations and what regulations actually mean for, for businesses in general and for entrepreneurship in particular. Uh, so we, we get into that quite a bit and, and how how government is sort of suffocating innovation and economic growth. But I, we haven't talked very much about the cultural aspect of it. Yeah. Because it just seems uh, I've, I've given many young men and women opportunities from time to time. And in my own demented mind, of course, I think, wow, they must be so grateful that someone's given this opportunity. It's not costing them anything. And they have an opportunity now to, build an organization, start a company, they got to be all excited. Nothing happens. Yeah, I have that same experience. Um, <laughs> that drives me nuts. I, try, I, I try to share uh, ideas and, and the information that I have with, with, I did so in grad school with my fellow students, for instance, uh, taking advantage of what is out there because there are plenty of opportunities out there. And it could be something small from, from being able to go to, a, as was the case in grad school, going to a conference with full funding. And all you needed to do was submit a, a one single page of, of some writing and you had a chance of, of 
going there for, for free. And to me, that was a great opportunity. So of course I did it. And I told others about it too, but no one else did. So, so there's definitely something there. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but, but maybe people are just happy with where they are at, or I, I can't really pinpoint what it is, but there's, there's something that is, is either uh, taking this drive away from people or maybe never, never even planting it yeah. uh, in their minds. Why, why don't you ask them, what's your plan B? On your next class, you've got to do this for me. And you've got to call me back and tell me what the response is. Say, what is your plan B? And if everyone has a plan B, you know you have a problem. Sure thing. Yeah, I'll do that. Definitely. Okay. And I'll send you an invoice for that, by the way. It's going to cost you money. I, now, I, Send it to the university. <laughs> All right. Let me play Mr. Doom and Gloomer, which I do a very good job of because I'm an expert in this field. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an investor. I love investment. I'm a commodities guy. You know, I watch the market. I understand if anything I like, like economics and finance, you know, internationally, I, I, I thrive on that. Everyone thinks I'm out of my mind that they're right, but I still enjoy doing that. Now, looking at the United States and where we're going, we won't go through the whole, all the aspects of our current economy, but we're due for some sort of crash again. You know, 2008, things got really bad. What happens if we have 2008 again in spades and, and these, now these students who had little hope of getting a decent job, maybe some hope of getting a crappy job or, or, or entry-level job, maybe, you know, and a difficult time becoming an entrepreneur. What happens to these students you know, when the economy collapses? Well, I'm not sure I, I dare thinking about that, actually. But I, it's, it's a problem for everyone, even if you have a job when the, when the economy crashes. Where the heck are you going to go? Um, but on the other hand, you have, have the, ex, uh, the, the experience, basically, of the Great Depression, where it, what we learned about the Great Depression was that there, there were no jobs and there was really high unemployment and so forth. And, and that's true, but that's in some of the sectors of the economy. In other sectors, they were looking for, for workers. It's just that they couldn't find anyone with the, with the accurate or the proper expertise. And I think that's what we've seen uh, since the financial crisis as well, that it's, it's become a, a shift in the economy. And uh, the Austrian economists uh, explain this very well, where, where uh, cheap money basically from the central bank has, has made some investments very profitable so that you have a lot of inflow of resources in those sectors. And it's, un, it's unsustainable. So when they finally fall you have all these uh, educated uh, workers in those fields, and they are laid off because there is no real demand. Really, it was a it was all a sham, uh, and it will take time before they find other jobs, and they will probably need education as well. Um, but uh, the only solution, I think, for for it depends on on what you mean by a crash. If you mean the, a total meltdown, then then many of us would probably need to find a, a lot of land somewhere and become farmers uh, just to get some our hands on food. Uh, if it's not a complete meltdown, then the only solution would be uh, entrepreneurship, starting our own business and trying to figure out how to make a living, uh, buying at low prices, selling at high prices, uh, 
producing things, fixing things, so forth. Right. Well, it, it, w- I, I, I think you arrived at the same point that I am. Uh, I, was, I was getting at in that the worse the economy gets, the more important it is that you understand entrepreneurship and have the drive to produce something, whatever it is at the time that's required, that you have to keep your antennas up and saying, now that this is, the economy is worse than it was in 2007, 2008, and 2009, you know, I, I'm not going to find a job at the local factory or, or in the office building across the road. You know, I have to, I have to say, what does this environment need? What does is, what is the economy need? How could I fill that need? You know, and I'm, I'm going to have to start doing it myself or me and a couple other people to get things done and get things moving again. And it, and it may be as, as rudimentary as farming. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of apocalyptic, but I mean, you, you see what I mean. And it seems like we're going, we're going in that direction anyway. There are fewer jobs in, you know, the IBMs of, the, of this world. And there are more people doing things on their own and doing everything and anything, mostly out of their homes, especially on the Internet. And I was just wondering if you ever discuss. When you graduate and there's an economic collapse the day after graduation, what are you going to do? Well, <laughs> we don't talk about that exactly. And I think that would be um, probably something that you would talk about in economics courses, uh, or I hope they would in a way. Um, so, so we just we talk, about, we talk about regulations. We talk about uh, how the market economy works. Um, in, in a sense, I mean, you're right. There's some strange contradiction here that at the same time we have fewer people interested in in becoming entrepreneurs than was the case before, and at the same time you have all these people working from home in their underwear, basically uh, using their computers, and that's their whole career. And, I, and my brother does basically that, and I, I know several people who who they just have a computer and they they basically work all days, but but and they do it from home, so the social aspect of going to to the office is is, is gone. Uh, but at the same time, you, you, I mean, they they are entrepreneurs. They are starting their own businesses, even though it's mostly consulting, or maybe it's sort of the gig economy, as we we talk about a lot nowadays, with with working for hours here and hours there, whether it's driving for Uber or programming or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, quite frankly, not now that I've gotten the doom and gloom out of the way. I see tremendous opportunity. Uh, you know, at one time, if you had an idea for a particular product, and it can be a very simple product, it can be a new type of paperclip, anything, you know, you had to go to one of the big box stores and sell them on the idea so they would buy volumes of it. And if it didn't sell, you were out of business. But today, you can take that, and, and it was very costly to do that. You needed tons of funding to do that. Today, you can do the same thing start off on a small scale. And if you understand how to use the internet and uh, your social media, and I know there are experts in that field. I have friends that that's all they do. You know, you can market. And this is why the, the, the Sears Roebuck stores, the JC Penney stores, the Macy's stores, the, the, the Kohl's, all of them are shutting down. The, many of them are closing because people can invent something, manufacture something, in their home, in their garage, or have a, a China do it, have it di- shipped directly to the uh, 
uh, ultimate consumer, and all you have is basically is you need the working capital to get it done, shipped over there, and then you just collect on a credit card. And you can, in many cases, collect in advance. This is a whole new paradigm which opens the field for people exponentially. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you can have a one-man business, uh, basically, and have production in China, and you, have, can, you can have sales in the U.S., and design in, in Europe somewhere, and it's still only you, which was definitely not possible before. But I think it would be would go even farther uh, very soon, not only uh, with sort of outsourced production in another country and shipping it to people, but with 3D printing and things like that. You, yeah. you would only provide the design, and, and people would actually print the goods at, in the comfort of their own homes. And that's going to change things quite a bit. Oh, yeah, I think the opportunity is now when it comes to computers, I'm, I'm all thumbs. I'm horrible. I really wish I was better. I have no patience for it whatsoever. Things change so quickly because I'm busy with other things. And I know there are people who do nothing but stare at that screen all day long, and they understand it well. I don't have the time. I hire somebody. But if you do have the time, you're young, you're, you're accustomed to it. This is the way things are going to be for you. I see tremendous opportunities out there. For the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to be an entrepreneur. You can't be a computer operator. You know, you can be a great computer operator and fail miserably in every business, even if it's hand spooned to you. Right. I, I agree. And I think that that is, in a sense, a little unfair to say that the young generation right now is not entrepreneurial. They're not entrepreneurial in the same sense as before, but many of them are experts on search right. engine optimizing or, or social media and things like that. And they, they run their own businesses, but very often they do that on the side uh, and they hope to grow it somehow. And, and then that's when they learn that it's really, really difficult to do that. Uh, but they can probably make enough money to, to make a decent living. Uh, out of those skills, and I think many of them do that. The, the problem, of course, is if there is a an economic meltdown, as we talked about this a minute ago, uh, how many will actually need search engine optimization and social media ads and whatever? Uh, so maybe many of them might be wiped out, and the question then is, what do they do? Yeah. What are the most common questions that are asked by the um, students and, and some of the most common misconceptions by young students in your entrepreneur class? Well, there are plenty of misconceptions, and I'm not sure they are unique for the students. Uh, they are, are, are probably held by most people in the general population. Um, one of them is, is what we talked about before, that, you, that we believe that it's, it's an idea that, that is, is the core of entrepreneurship, where it's Whereas most investors know that it's really the implementation of an idea, whether you have the fir- you're the first one to have the idea or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, one thing that I usually push for is the relationship between cost and price, where we tend to think about how how price is cost plus a markup, and that's what it looks like after the fact. But but that's not actually how you should think about it, because when when you have a product or service that you're offering to consumers, what you should do is think about okay, so so what is this worth to consumers? What type of price can I possibly get for, for this type of, of good or service when I sell it to, to this type of consumer? And then after that, the question is, okay, can I produce this at a cost that is low enough for me to make a profit? Right. So, so when people think about it, they think about, it, okay, the cost is this, so what price do I need to, need to set? But that's not, that's, 
exactly the reverse. You, you already should have a price or you need to figure out what the price needs to be. And then you choose your cost to choose how to produce it and with using what materials and so forth. So the, in a sense, this is basic economics, or at least the economics I was taught, Austrian economics, because uh, in general, uh, mainstream economics is not very useful. Uh, but th learning the thing about the economy and the, mar the market, how it works and how, how value is really in consuming goods rather than in producing goods and, and things like that. That's, that's core to, to be being successful as, as an entrepreneur and it's core to having a, a successful life, I think. Yeah. Now, are you able to discern from your position being the teacher the um, those that have special characteristics that you feel will make them successful and others that don't have the char those characteristics that may lend them to failure? Well, for me personally, I'm a pretty poor judge of character, but um, you can immediately tell who is, a, who is serious about what they do, uh, uh, who basically live by that uh, sort of dictum that that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Um, and they, they, they take the class and they try to get something out of it, whether or not they, they need to take the class. Some, many take classes because they have to, to get a degree because university rules say they have to take a class like this. Um, but uh, if you sit there, why not learn something? So, so you, can, you can immediately tell that some students, they are there, they just want to make sure that passes so that they can finally get their diploma and get out of there. Um, other students are really interested and in try to learn something and they try to apply it. They try to make sense of it themselves. And, and it's, of course, it's easy to tell with these two categories that the latter category, that they're going to do well. It doesn't really matter where you put them. They're going to try to make the most out of it. Whereas the other type, uh, you don't really know if it's, if, if they're young and immature or if they are just tired, maybe they have a, a health condition, uh, maybe this is not their, their subject or, or whatever it is, but it could be anything. But, but they're also definitely the lazy kind. Yeah. Now, I've got to ask you a question, and I, I hesitate asking, but I'm dying to ask it anyway. And I, apologi I apologize in advance. Don't, don't take offense. And I mean that. I, I, but I'm wondering if the students are sitting there saying, well, if you're talking about teaching entrepreneurship, why are you teaching? Say that again. What, what was if, if you are teaching entrepreneurship, why are you teaching? I'm not sure I understand the question. Even. Well, you're, you're teaching so, entrepreneurship. That means getting mm -hmm. out on your own, developing a product or a service and starting a business. Right? Why, yeah. why aren't you doing it? Why are you teaching? Right. Well, that, that we actually talk about a little bit uh, okay. and, and the specialization and doing, doing something that you like doing and doing something that you're good at. And that, that's something we talk about a lot because that's sort of my, my interest in, in economic thinking. And I'm not particularly good at sales or marketing or production and that sort of thing. I think I'm really good at teaching and doing research. So they are better off if I'm a teacher than if I'm a farmer or, or a mechanic or something like that. And uh, I tell them to find something that they are really good at, that they, okay. they can sell to others. And, and that's, that they should, that they should see 
their careers as a means and not an end. If they can combine it, then that's perfect. But their first job is not going to be uh, uh, aligned with their passions. That's, I mean, this is not my first career. Uh, and they shouldn't expect it from their first careers either. Okay, very good. All fairness, and I, 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 I meant no disrespect whatsoever. I was just thinking from I'm the taken. student point of, point of view or anything like that. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, our time, in fact, we went over time, believe it or not. And, uh, Doctor, I want to thank you so much for being on Liberty Talk Radio. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I hope uh, you, you enjoyed being on the program as well. Absolutely. And uh, we do hope that you will accept our invitation to return, hopefully, at a, at a later date. I would love to. Thanks for having me on. Okay. If you'd like to say a few closing words, please, I'll give you the last minute. Well, I would I would urge your listeners, and, and I think they already do this, but think about the market economy and what it is really about and what the effect of restricting people's uh, voluntary actions to create value actually means. I think there's this uh, great uh, illusion that by using power to force people not to create value, you can somehow get great, greater value out of it. Yeah. And put, when you put it like that, it, it's pretty obvious that that's not possible, but that's, that's what politicians generally do. Uh, and I think by just putting it in blunter terms, in a sense, makes it very clear. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor, and I hope I'll be speaking with you again. Thank you. Folks, this is the end of today's program. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support, and we'd like to thank you for listening in. You can further the cause of liberty by recommending this program to your friends and let us hear from you. Our email address is comments at libertytalkradio.com. Remember, as my wife would say, you're either allowing your liberties to be taken away or you're striving to protect them. Unfortunately, folks, there is no middle ground until... Next time, this is Joe Cristiano. You've been listening to Liberty Talk Radio. Stay well. Stay tuned. Oh,